morning to everyone here and hello to those online. The Lord is with you. You're welcome. Are we okay? Right. So by the grace of God, we're doing a three-part sermon series on the book of Job. Uh, last week, Reverend Jonathan gave us the first sermon entitled, Why Me? If you missed it, you can always catch up on our YouTube channel. Today, my title is, Don't Suffer in Silence. Now, those who have read the entire book of Job, did Bible studies on it, and investigated commentaries may have arrived at some conclusions concerning Job's suffering. Some people say God allowed Job to suffer so that Job may come to know God more intimately and draw closer to him. Others say God was testing Job's faith, meaning God wanted to find out whether Job was genuinely faithful or was he a fair-weather believer seeking after health and wealth? Yet others group Job together with the man who was born blind in the Gospel of John. This is in John chapters 9 and 10. They say both of them suffered so that the works of God may be displayed in them. Different people have reached different conclusions about Job's suffering. Therefore, when we say that the reason for his suffering remains a mystery, you may be wondering, do we not already have the answers? The reality is, while all the reasons above and others you may, may have heard are good and true, they do not answer this ultimate question. Why must God achieve his purposes this way? Why kill off seven sons to bring Job closer to God? Why make three daughters die to test Job's piety? Why be glorified at the expense of human pain and suffering? Why can't the Almighty achieve the same results in less heartbreaking ways? This is the ultimate question, and there is no escaping it. Whatever we can think of or imagine are human guesses, because God has not revealed to us the answer. It remains a mystery until kingdom come. So does this mean we should skip reading and preaching from the book of Job since it's so painful to read and don't understand what it's talking about? Shall we sing our closing song and call it a day? Right? What do you think? Of course not. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof and training in righteousness. While our passage doesn't explain innocent suffering, it does teach Christians how to respond when we suffer innocently. The lesson I have for us today is, cry out to our fearsome God in times of suffering. We're looking at chapter 23 today, which is somewhere in the middle of the book. And here we find Job giving an answer to what Eliphaz said earlier in chapter 22. To put this in context, I will briefly summarize chapter 22 for us. Now, after arguing for two rounds without successfully getting Job to confess his guilt, Eliphaz direct accusations at him in a last-ditch effort. Eliphaz says, Job has oppressed the poor, was merciless to the needy and cruel to widows and orphans. His endless iniquities have brought about overwhelming terror and darkness. Furthermore, Eliphaz claims that Job is proud and does not fear God. This is why God has destroyed all his possessions and reduced him to nothing overnight. And to top it all off, Eliphaz accuses Job of injustice, covetousness, and all manner of disobedience. 
if Job would only agree with God's judgment upon him and repent of his sins, God will hear his prayers again and deliver him. Of course, Eliphaz has no proof of any of these things. But faced with Job's immense suffering, Eliphaz reverse engineered these crimes to make sense of what's happening to him. But this is human nature, right? We all do this all the time. For example, when our friends suffer from diarrhea, our first response is, what you eat? Implying that they must have caused it by their own choice and action. Similarly, in the face of suffering, the first response is almost always, what have you done? You must have brought it upon yourself. But let us remember the case of Job and recognize that suffering is not always due to sin. Punishment may be given without a crime. So now in reply to Eliphaz, Job starts off saying in verse two, today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. The original Hebrew should be translated, my complaint is rebellion. The Hebrew words for bitter and rebellion look the same, so they can be mistaken for each other. And most Bible translations chose to use bitter, but uh, I found the correct version in the NASB version. That aside, with the right translation in place, we understand that Job is saying, you are accusing me of disobeying God, but my only crime is complaining against him for making me suffer without cause. Now, we need not be afraid that our title character has developed a rebellious attitude. The story is not going to fall apart just because Job did not maintain his moral integrity. Because no matter what Job thinks and says now, doesn't change the fact that he was blameless and doesn't deserve to suffer. His reaction to suffering must not be confused with the cause of his suffering. Jumping down to verses 10 to 12, we see Job's confidence in his own innocence. We can almost see him standing up to say, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way, I have not turned aside. I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Contrary to what Eliphaz accused him of, Job does receive God's word into his heart and he seeks to obey it. In fact, Job puts many of us to shame. We would travel the distance to satisfy our food cravings. And I'm in fact going to Changi to try this bike cafe next week. Yeah. Even if this place offers food dis delivery, we'll still make the trip down, cycle 30 km, because nothing beats eating fresh. However, we would not travel to church to hear the living word of God, preferring the convenience of having it delivered to where we are via live stream. And to be honest, if I'm not a pastoral staff, that's probably what I would do too. Compared ourselves with Job who says, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So we recognize that this is a pious, pious man. Nevertheless, Job believes that his stellar personal conduct doesn't seem to matter to God. God appears to treat the blameless and the wicked in the same way. Hence, he continues bitterly in verses 13 to 14. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. 
for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. If Job is going to agree with God, he will only agree that God has ordained tragic loss, physical pain, broken relationships, and many other such evil things for him. To Job, God feels like a cosmic bully who is determined to make his life miserable. No one is able to save him from the Almighty, and nothing can make God stop. As Job speaks and considers his exasperating situation, where he's unable to stop God, unable to prove God guilty, unable to prove himself innocent, and unable to prove his friends wrong, Job falls from bold confidence to despair and confesses that he is utterly fearful of God. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Job's reflection on his suffering made him acutely aware of his limited and powerless humanity. Before the absolute freedom and infinite power of God Almighty, he is like a candle in the wind. At this point, he expressed his genuine and proper fear of God. I wonder how many of us spend time reflecting on our own sufferings. More importantly, how many of us emerge with a greater fear of God? The biblical idea of the fear of the Lord refers to the emotion of fear which the people of Israel experienced when God spoke to them out of the thunder and lightning and thick darkness on Mount Sinai. And they cried out to Moses, do not let God speak to us or we will die. It refers to the fear of Jesus that overcame the people of Gerasenes when they saw how the Son of God cast out the legion of demons and drowned them in 2,000 pigs and they begged Jesus to leave their neighborhood. It is the same great fear that seized the church when the Holy Spirit exposed Ananias and Sapphira for being dishonest and made them drop dead. Based on these passages, we understand that the fear of the Lord is a proper fear of God's omnipotent power, of his control over all creation, and of what he can do to human lives. Now imagine a neighborhood basketball game where young boys and old men can come together to play. And suddenly, this guy two meters tall steps onto the court. Everybody's heart sink because they know they cannot outrun nor outjump this guy. But regardless, they split into teams. Now, how would you feel when you find out that this big guy is on your team? Would you still be discouraged and frightened of him? Or would you be relieved and in awe of him? Chances are we'll take advantage of his height, keep passing the ball to him, and then buy him a drink afterwards to celebrate. Unless, of course, he has two left legs. The fear of the Lord is something like that. At the root of it is the emotion of fear. And this fear we must not downplay, although we don't like it. Because the greater the fear of God, the greater the reassurance we find in him. When we are assured 
that this God Almighty is on our side, that he is for us, and we will not run away in fear. Rather, we will run to him, take advantage of his power, pass him our troubles, and offer him our reverent worship and praise. How much we fear God correlates with how much we know of his power. Job, Israel, the people of Gerasenes, and the early church, they have a great fear of God because they personally encountered the mighty power in their lives. And they understand, and so we understand, that the fear of the Lord is not something we can conjure up in our own imagination, but we need God to reveal it to us. What we can do is to reflect on God's power through his works in the Bible and learn to fear him as we consider our own sufferings. For example, when we consider how the whole world is frightened and helpless against a microscopic thing called the coronavirus, which has the ability to damage our bodies for a little while and lock us up at home, we should consider how much more frightening God is who has the power to do more permanent damage and to lock us up eternally in hell, but who also has the power to reverse all the damage and destruction and set us free. Now many people are rushing, rushing for their booster shots, but I thought we should just uh, also vaccinate our hearts. You know, The reality is, um, with all the cases uh, rising, right? We, you know, uh, sooner or later, we will catch it ourselves. Um, so this booster shot I give you from Matthew 10, 28, spiritual vaccine. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we've heard. Job expressed his fear of God. But immediately after that, in the last verse of this chapter, he says this, Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Yet I am not silenced. Darkness, terror, pain, and humiliation have not made Job lose his voice. Today and every day, he will continue to cry out to God as long as he suffers without cause. This is fighting talk, echoing his rebellious complaints in the beginning at verse two. But Job wants to do more than talk behind God's back. He wants to argue his case before the Almighty. And this desire is conveyed in verses three to four. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. The use of the legal context here is not metaphorical. God is the judge and Job is the accused who has already been sentenced. The problem is Job has not been given a chance to defend himself. Therefore, he is appealing for a retrial. He's confident of his reasons for appeal and prepared to answer the charges. And he wants to hear what God has to say. Continuing with the next two verses, would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him and I will be acquitted forever by my judge. 
In contrast to Job's friends who have tried to coerce him into a false confession with their many words, Job believes that God will not do the same, although he has greater power. And in contrast to Job's friends who have totally dismissed Job's arguments, Job believes that God will pay attention to his defense and be reasonable. And after hearing, he is sure to clear Job of his name and remove his suffering. This all seems well and good on paper. Unfortunately, at this point in time, God cannot be found. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. In other words, where are you, God, in my suffering? Where are you when I need you? This will be a reasonable time to give up waiting on God, like how customers walk out of the store when the salesperson are nowhere to be found. Yet, Job chose to continue waiting for the Lord. He won't stop crying out for justice. In spite of the darkness, terror, pain and humiliation, I am not silenced, he says. At the end of the book, God does appear to Job. God arrives to respond to Job's complaints. Surprisingly, not to punish Job, but to defend himself against Job's complaints. When all has been said, God declares that Job has spoken what is right about him. But I must leave Reverend Jonathan to expound on the ending next week. The lesson that we may draw from this chapter is don't suffer in silence. Cry out to our fearsome God. Suffering in silence is unhealthy for the soul. A Christian blogger puts it better than me, and so I quote him. Failing to exercise biblical candor with the Lord and those around us is often a self-destructive path. The heart knows its own bitterness, Proverbs 14.10 affirms. The choice is clear. We either properly vocalize our suffering to God and those around us, or we slowly cultivate a low-grade anger and disappointment that will dull our spiritual senses and poison our relationships. Suffering in silence often produces bitterness of the soul. And if I may add, when we do not cry out to God, we may end up walking away from him. Our passage today and other parts of scripture, particularly the lament psalms and the prophetic books, tell us that God can take objections and complaints, laments and tears. Shall God receive good from us and shall he not receive evil? You have divine permission to complain to God about your boss, your father, your mother, your spouse, your best friend, fellow Christians, pastor, even the bishop. I mean, if Job can complain to God about God, then there's nobody we cannot complain about, right? So I invite you to cry out to him. Tell him what's happening. How is it making you feel? How other people are reacting? Nothing is too trivial, too worldly, too unspiritual to discuss with God. Make sense of your situation with him and process your suffering with him. Particularly, 
in this long-drawn pandemic, we need to cry out to God. Of course, we have been crying out. We've been praying for the protection of our family and friends, for healing and recovery of the patients, for wisdom to develop vaccines and treatments, for strength and perseverance to endure lockdowns and restrictions, for social responsibility, cooperation within the nation, and for people to know Christ in the midst of this crisis, and so on and so forth. But perhaps it is time to take a leaf from Job and start seeking God for justice. How long, O oh Lord, will you allow this coronavirus to afflict the entire world? How long, O oh Lord, will you leave your people worried for our health and for the health of our elderly parents and young children? Do you have no mercy on those who have sleepless nights worrying about their jobs and business? Will you have no pity on the children who cannot go out to play? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Some of us may feel Job is innocent and therefore he has the right to complain. But we are not as blameless and upright. Well then, let us return to our second reading from the Gospel of Matthew and we shall end with some quick observations from it. I pick it up from verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Were these two blind men blameless and upright? Probably not. They were social outcasts, which was why the crowd told them to be silent before the great teacher. Yet, they could not be silenced. They cried out all the more. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped for them. Jesus listened to them. And Jesus had mercy upon them. And I should point out that these two blind men didn't have to go looking for God or write 37 chapters worth of complaints to rouse God into action. They didn't even have to argue their case. God came to them in Jesus Christ answered their cries for mercy unconditionally. God came to them and God is also with us. In fact, God is even closer to us who believe today. Because after the ascension of Christ, God lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, whoever you are, whatever suffering you're going through, pandemic or otherwise, have confidence that you can cry out to our fearsome God. If you're suffering for nothing, God can grant you justice and redress. If you're suffering for others, God can fill you with patience and love. If you're suffering for your own good, God will give you wisdom to learn your lesson and grow in holiness.
even if you are suffering what you deserve, God can grant you forgiveness and mercy. For this reason, we praise God and bless his holy name. Amen.